Greetings, fellow travelers. This is John Matarazzo. I am re-airing the episode that I did with Dave Beering because his book, The Great Opportunity, is available now wherever books are sold. And I wanted to re-air this episode because I've got a lot of big things happening in my life that I'll be updating you with pretty soon. But for right now, please enjoy this re-air with Dave Beering. And so for me, my life has been a step of obedience at a time. And it's been over the last few years that, and even now, leaning into a stride that God has begun to give me. But if your listeners can just realize, hey, you might be 35 and going, how much longer do I need to be under this leader? Here's the deal. The sooner that you lean into what God has you to learn, the faster you walk through some of these processes. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. I'm so excited to share this conversation with all of you. My guest today has been a life-changing mentor in my life over the years. During my eight years in Youth of the Mission as a missionary leader, I've gone through my fair share of ups and downs. One of the most difficult times where I wanted to give up is when God connected me with Dave Beering. You'll hear more of that story in our conversation, but I want you to know how pivotal he has been in my life. Dave's words are very big in my ears, and God used him to change my perspective on the Great Commission, in a good way. Dave Beering is the author of the book, The Great Opportunity, and in my humble opinion, he is the best at helping followers of Jesus become disciple makers. If you want to know how you can know Jesus better and partner with him to make disciples, then you'll really enjoy this conversation. I'll get to that in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes, and you can check out all of my episodes at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you check that out and you connect with me. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me to continue to put out more of these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon, simply go to patreon.com slash alongtheway and select a level. The link to become a Patreon supporter is also in my show notes. And now, here's my Along the Way conversation with Dave Beering. Well, Dave Beering, it is great to finally have you on Along the Way. You have been such a God blessing in my life. Um, From the first time that you and I met back in 2009, you have been one of those voices that is big in my ears. We're going to explain a little bit about what that phrase particularly means in in this conversation. But Dave Beering is like the disciple maker of disciple makers, if I could put it in any term. (laughs) And it is a pleasure to have you on along the way, Dave. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's always a privilege to be able to hang out and do things with you. Yeah. So, Dave, you and I met in 2009, and I just want to kind of touch on this story a little bit before I set up and uh, allow you to tell me about your journey with the Lord. I was in Youth of the Mission at the time, and I'm kind of just setting the stage for everybody that's listening that, that might not know this story already. But in 2009, I was leading a group of young missionary students, and we were at a conference in North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. And I was at a point in the school where I was the guy that was in charge and we had um, 11 or 12 students, something like that. Uh, It was a while ago, so I forget the exact number, but it seemed like there was a lot more than 11 or 12 uh, just because of how difficult it was for me. And I was at a place where I was literally telling God, I can't do this anymore and I'm about to give up. Whenever I get back to the, the ministry center, I'm just going to say, I'm done. I'll go clean toilets. I'll do whatever else. I just don't want to be doing this discipleship training school thing anymore. I don't want to be in charge. And then God brings Dave Beering into my life. And the things that Dave imparted into me in that short week that we were there uh, really set me up for changing how I viewed discipleship and took the complexity that I had built into discipleship and kind of made that much more palatable and understandable and bite-sized, which that's how I handle things, bite-sized pieces. It's so much better that way. Really, Dave Beering had the opportunity to (laughs) set me straight and help me with the disciple-making process. And then it just started this relationship between Youth of the Mission Pittsburgh and you and I think they've had you speak at pretty much every school since then in some way, shape, or form. But you have had such a great impact on my life, and I'm grateful that I get to share 
your journey with my audience as well. Thank you. So you've written many books on discipleship and I'm so grateful to have you here. So it'll be fun. Yeah. So I would love for you, Dave, to, to share your story of how God has brought you to where you are now, because we have the common past of being in youth with a mission, but God's mm-hmm. brought you on, on quite a unique journey. So I'd love to hear how God has, how God has led you. Okay. So I always have to to begin with the fact that I realize much of who I am, what I do now has to do with uh, my growing up years in that I was one of those kids that had the privilege of having a mom that would get up at 4.30 every morning and pray for Mm. her husband, her two boys, and the nations of the world. And so I know that uh, much of what I do now is um, tied to that. I had a mom that regularly prayed. And early on in my life, there were several situations where I watched my dad obey the Lord. And so as a young guy, that really got imparted in me. And, you know, to say to those that are listening that are, say, young parents or older parents, you just you just never know what your kids take away from those things. But they, they impacted my life. Um, when I was uh, in high school, I was planning to go into uh, broadcast journalism, and uh, I ended up um, graduating from high school and heading from the state of Minnesota, where I was, to Youth of the Mission Hawaii. And uh, I was planning to be there five months, then back to school, and I ended up there <laughs> seven years. And I know um, that feeling very well. <laughs> yes, I know you do. And uh, and very grateful for it. it. It was a time in my life as an 18 to 25-year-old. I'm 61 now. And so it was a formative time in me. And I had Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, and several YWAM leaders that took a very kind, uh, genuine interest in my life and begin to invest things in me and give me opportunities to kind of stretch my muscles a little bit. And it helped me discover my gifts and helped me be pushed in a direction that um, never let me go back to broadcast journalism. Although in the world we live in today, there's lots of podcasts or video things that we have the opportunity to do. Um, I was there, John, I was 25 and then spent a number of years pastoring in Minnesota, in California, was involved in an organization where we mobilized short-term teams into Russia Mm. to a community called Krasnodar, where we had an opportunity to bring the gospel. Uh, We moved here where I live now in the Franklin, Tennessee area in 1991, continued to pastor here for about 13 years. And then since 2006, had the privilege full-time of leading LionShare, which is Um, an organization that focuses on disciple-making. Yes, we help churches for sure, but we also walk alongside societal leaders, shape them in the ways of God, and then ask them to pass the same to others that work in that same field. So uh, that's a lot of what I do. Yeah. So I want to kind of take apart some of those elements. And I know some of the stories that you told me that have really made an impact in my life happened in your, in your youth of the mission days. And then we'll, we'll talk about some of those other things as well, but you got to spend a good bit of time with Lauren Cunningham, good bit of one-on-one time with him. And specifically, I believe there was a conversation that uh, he really said some important things to you that I'd love for you to be able to share as well. Yeah. So John, when I was 20, um, I had been there in Kona for a couple of years and a man by the name of Peter Jordan, who was Lauren's kind of right-hand guy, came to me one day and said, hey, I want to ask you about something. And he said, would you be open to doing some travel with Lauren? And I said, well, like, what does that mean? And he said, well, oftentimes he's in settings where um, he's speaking and he needs somebody to kind of be, um, so this would have been the 80s, the brochure guy, (laughs) you know, so that when he's speaking and he says, hey, if you're interested in a YWAM discipleship training school or you're interested in a short-term outreach, come over here and see Dave. I said, oh, okay. And so anyway, prayed about it, decided I was to do it, um, felt very honored to be asked. And um, there was a a trip we went on that was a, um, let me just think, it began in Texas and then went to LA and then to Washington, D.C., maybe over the span of seven to 10 days. And And on that trip, uh, there was one of the flights that we were on, I believe LA to DC that he, he asked me, he said, Dave, what do you think your gifts are? And if I'm really honest, John at 20, you know, I was still kind of 
new to it, figuring it out, didn't right. probably even have the full language for it. So I told him what I was thinking. And, and then what he said to me at that moment made a mark to this day. And he, here's what he said. I had told him I thought my gifts were, and, and he processed it with me, leadership and teaching. And so he, he said this, David, doesn't matter how big the organizations are that you'll lead or the size of the groups that you teach. And I've taught everywhere from groups of two or three up to thousands. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, he said, it won't matter. He said, the way that God will use you and the way that you need to think about this is investing to the third and fourth generations. And then he quoted to me 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that talks about Paul, kind of first generation investing in Timothy, who invested in others, a third generation who invested in other faithful people. So four generations deep. Right. And it made a mark on me. And I can, I can say, John, that even though I lead things and I teach things, the core, because of that conversation, is how do I pass things on to this person in such a way that it actually gets into their life? Yeah. It's not just information in the head, but it transforms the heart. Yeah. So discipleship is something that seems a little scary if you're not familiar with it. And because we, there's, you might go to a church and there's discipleship classes or, yep. you know, there might be various different strategies for discipleship. But I know I was confused about what discipleship actually was whenever we first met. Mm-hmm. I went through the discipleship training school. So that very first word in, in, in that is this is discipleship. And so I just thought, okay, if I go through this class, if I go through this uh, program, then I'm a disciple. Thank God that that's not what it is. Uh, there's yeah. there's a lot more to it, but it's also very simple compared to what yeah. I was what we have a tendency to make it as well. And so, Dave, for you, what is discipleship? Because your definition of that really changed my life, yeah, and made it accessible for me. So, could you please explain what discipleship actually is? Yeah. So, you know, when I think of, like, if we begin with what's a follower of Jesus, there's somebody that reflects his character, like what he's really like. There's somebody that walks in his ways of doing things. His word tells us my ways aren't your ways, you know, but he teaches us his ways. And then it's being a part of the mission of Jesus through our own personality and gifts that he's given us. So with that in mind, I like to say that disciple-making is reproducing the character, ways, and mission of Jesus and those around you, expecting them to do the same in others. And so, when I, when I talk about the character of God, like when I think of you, John, as a follower of Jesus, I see uh, faithfulness, I see kindness, I see love, I see you desiring to model attitudes that Jesus would have. Well, Part of the discipleship process is helping somebody's character look more like Jesus's. Mm-hmm. And so that means walking with them close enough that they may find themselves in a situation where you can say, hey, you know what? Do you know that you really reacted to that situation rather than just kind of being kind? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't. I never, you know, and so it's, it's walking close enough and having trust where you invite that person to speak into your life. But it begins with our characters reflecting what God's like. So when someone leaves you, you've left an impression, not just by words spoken or things done, but just by your character. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes to walking in God's ways, I like to simplify it, John, for my own brain to think of God's ways is how he does things. Okay. And so when you disciple somebody in God's ways, whether it's a a leader, a businesswoman, a government person, regardless It's helping them do things that are more like how Jesus would do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be in the way you relate, in the way you lead, in the way that you serve. It could be a lot of things. But the ways of God is passing out, hey, can I show you how Jesus would do this? So it's reflecting his character. It's reflecting his ways. And then it's helping that person find their own gifts and their place in the body of Christ where where they are fulfilling the mission of Jesus, which is preaching the gospel, it's discipling, or as one friend says, it's it's uh, reaching the lost, it's discipling the found, it's reconciling people to God. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, so reproducing God's character, ways, and mission, and then helping them multiply the same in others. So, it, it continues. 
Yeah. Dave, you, I just want to touch back on something that you said. And I think yeah. it, unless you're really paying attention as you're, as you're listening to this, I think most people would probably miss what you just said. You said, let me show you how Jesus would have dealt with this. And a lot of times I think our normal response is, hey, you screwed up. You shouldn't have done it that way. But I yeah. love how you said, hey, can I show you how Jesus would have done this? Mm. Can you just kind of unpack those two different, uh, the, that dichotomy of views of how people deal with correction and teaching mm. and, and wh- mm. what the importance is of that? Yeah, you know, you've heard me say this, John, over the years that you can only speak in people's lives to the degree you have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so my assumption, um, which I know isn't always correct, but my assumption is in this conversation, what you're asking me is if you have a level of relationship with a person who's invited you to speak into their life. And by the way, Darlene Lauren's wife pulled me aside, John, when I was probably about that same age, 2021. I could show you right at the basin YWAM Kona where this happened. And she said to me, Dave, always remember this, only speak into people's lives in the areas they've invited you into. Mm. Don't try to speak into their lives outside of that. Well, in society today, we just blow right past that, right? right? We just, hey, if I got an opinion about it, you're going to hear about it. But then we wonder why our relationships get screwed up, you know? Wow, that's good. So it was one of the principles I learned. So like with you, at first, you know, I think of sitting in that picnic bench there mm-hmm. at, at the church in Charlotte, and you begin to ask me questions, and I, I would address those things. And then you invited me to come to the base in Pittsburgh, and, and we'd have more conversations. You invited me. And then there was a certain point that you said, hey, I just want you to know you have the freedom to, if, if there's something I don't see, you think I should see, or, right. and, you know, and, but I had to earn that. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to earn that. And I think because we have relationship, it's like, I know your heart. Your heart is always to honor the Lord, always to reflect him. It made it easy, you know, to never have to say, John, what are you thinking? (laughs) Yeah. It it, it made it easy just to be able to say, hey, can I show you something? And because you were open and because we had relationships, like it wasn't just, this isn't just a one-sided thing of how I was doing it. It was also because you were open, Mm. you invited, um, you were teachable. And that's oftentimes uh, the challenge I can run into because someone wants me to speak into their life, but they're not teachable. Mm. And then that becomes a frustrating thing, you know, on, on my end. But I think because discipleship is primarily a relationship of a little further along follower of Jesus walking with someone that's maybe not as far along in a particular area, it, it all hinges on relationship. And because you let me um, have a relationship with you and you invited me to speak into your life, it made it a heck of a lot easier to do so. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Dave, we just talked briefly about the the term teachable. Mm. And that's one of the things that, Honestly, God has dealt with that in my life, and I've tried to always be a teachable person mm-hmm. because of a moment that I wasn't teachable, and it was brought to my sure. attention. Sure, Actually, I was. my dad was trying to teach me some the proper way to catch a baseball over my shoulder, and mm-hmm. I wasn't listening to what he had to say. And mm-hmm. he just very calmly said, I can't teach you. And it like cut me to the core in a good mm-hmm. way. In a good way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, my dad wasn't judging me. He just said, I can't. I can't do something yeah. that you're not letting me help you with. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about teachability? Um, yeah. now, yes, I've become teachable because of that moment. And we've grown through that. Yeah. I, I don't have dad issues because of that at all. I'm just making yeah. that very clear. Yeah. It's one of those moments yeah. that I can look back to and I say, because of a time where I wasn't teachable, now mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Thanks for that story. That's a good one. Yeah. Teachability has things attached to it for me. For example, let me choose other words. It means humility. Mm. Humility is attached to teachability because humility is a willingness to not only be known for who you really are, but a willingness to say, you know what? I don't know everything. Right. Like even in the area that I'm gifted at, I don't know everything. And pride is one of the subtle things that, you know, can hinder us from being teachable because we... So let me, let me write on a second word, humility and insecurities. Okay. Like we can be insecure 
And therefore, it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before, but I've watched it be true for many years. Insecurity asserts authority. Mm. Like when you're insecure, you got to put on kind of, hey, man, I, no, 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 I know. Yeah. And and so sometimes I run into people who want to be discipled, but because of past baggage of insecurity or pride, which is the opposite of humility, I have to kind of navigate around those things. And to be honest, I'm willing to do that for a little while if they're willing to to say, yeah, I have a problem with this. I want to learn. Keep pushing me. Mm-hmm. If someone just after a while, the teachability is just not there. Like I, I'm dealing with a person like that in my life right now where it's either they know it all or their insecurities will not allow them to take in more because it, then they feel like I'm here. I'm lowering my hand, my other hand, I'm here <laughs> and, I, and I can't, you know, Right. And we play that game. And um, so I think teachability has to do with humility, number one. And secondly, I think there has to be this place of learning to be. Let me tell, tell you this story. You might have heard me share this before. My wife came to me one day. She'd been in a time of prayer. This is probably 15 years ago. And she was wrestling with some peers who were unlike her, meaning in a good way. They just were different in how they are wired. But it made her feel insecure. And the Lord showed her in a prayer time. He said this, I want you to learn to be secure in who you are and who you're not. Mm. And part of our insecurity dynamic is we need to learn to become secure in who we are, but we also become secure in who we're not, like what we're not good at. Right. So that more easily allows us in humility to say, I could really use some help here. Yeah. Knowing where you need help and knowing the areas that you need to grow in humility and then finding the right people to help you with that is very important. And that's a big step as a disciple heading towards a discipleship relationship. Yes. Speaking of discipleship relationship, how do you find people to A, disciple you? And then later let's talk on how we can help disciple others. Okay. But how do you, how do you find somebody that, that can help you be a better disciple? Yeah, that's a great question. I, the way that I like to, to look at this is so if I'm looking for someone to pour into me, you want to find somebody who has experience in the area that you need growing in. So it's not just like, and this is where sometimes, you know, particularly as you get older, like into your fifties and older peer relationships can help you with that. But when we're younger in our teens and our twenties and in our thirties, it's usually wise to find somebody older than you are more seasoned or inexperienced in the area where you want to grow. So like, say you want to grow in hearing God's voice more, mm-hmm. find somebody who's been practicing that for a right, while. Right. I think that's a really... That's a really important thing. Secondly, you want to find somebody that you trust, you know, because if, if it's a discipling relationship, it means you're going to get into issues of the heart. And so you want to find somebody who you can tell in their relationships that other people trust them. So I think seasoning experience as well as trust. And then the third thing would be you want to find somebody whose life you spiritually admire. Hmm. You know, that in other words, it's like there's an admiration. It's like, I like to say it this way, when I think of the Lauren Cunninghams or the Jack Haffords or the Henry Blackabees, I want to be like you when I grow up. Yeah. You know, not in personality and all that, but just in the the way that you handle yourself, your walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a big one. And if I was to give you a fourth, you want to look for a heart link. That's natural. Mm, okay. Like, in other words, if it just seems like these other three, the trust, the seasoning, you know, some of these pieces are there, but there's not a natural connect. Um, so to find somebody that's kind of in the, there's an easy rhythm to have with them mm. is that lets it go further faster. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm grateful that there was that, uh, there was that connection between us whenever we first met too. Um, yeah. because otherwise we wouldn't be, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And, uh, you know, Indeed. this is what, 12 years or roughly 12 years later. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a, that's yeah. kind of a big deal Yeah, just to know that your words are still very big in my ears, uh, 12 years later. You're kind. I do want to unpack that, that phrase, uh, in just a moment, but I, I want to just kind of comment, you know, sometimes we're looking at if we're going to, if we want to be a disciple, sometimes we think we need to find all of those things and we need to find one person that can disciple us in everything. Can you just address that? Because I, I don't think that that's 
you're not saying that you need to find one person that can basically be the person that you want to be when you grow up, but it can be kind of spread out. Can you just talk about that a little bit? And then we'll talk yeah. about your, your big ears, not the big. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my wife calls it. You're, you're in, you're in a good shape there. Yeah. Let me just say it this way. It's hard for us to find Yoda. Yes. You know, it's just, it's, it's just not one person that, I mean, it, if that happens in your life, just consider yourself very graced and, and blessed by the Lord. But it's very rare that you find one person that becomes that. And and it can often put pressure on somebody who maybe doesn't have all the things that you need. So the way that I like to look at it is, so I'll throw out a few areas. So let's say you want to grow in your prayer life. That person that's walking with you right now on how to share your faith may have a good prayer life, but it might not be the person to pass that on to you. So let the one who's showing you how to share their faith do that. And let the business person who's a godly business person show you how to be a good godly business person. But there might be a third person out there whose prayer life you admire. And that's, that's always a good starting place. When you run into somebody that you admire a certain area of their life, that might be a cue to you that they're worth praying about asking if they would help you in that area. So it's okay. It's okay if you have three, four, five, even different people that are discipling you in different areas, but there may be a primary person that maybe disciples you in the core areas of your walk with Jesus, but it might be a completely different person who's discipling you vocationally. Right. And that's very important. And I'm glad that we just took that, took a moment to kind of make that distinction. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you put a lot of pressure on finding that perfect person yeah. uh, that can do everything. And you don't need to. God brings no, multiple people right. in your life for multiple reasons. Yeah, and that's good. So I've made mention now a few times about how your words are big in my ears. And mm. that means a lot to me. And mm. as we are looking for people to help bring along in their journey with the Lord and their, whether it be spiritually, vocationally, professionally, whatever it might be. Those are some of the things that have always stood out to me whenever Mm. you've, whenever you've Mm. explained that. Can you, can you unpack what that phrase means? Yes. And uh, just some of the other things that you're looking for whenever you want to pour into somebody else's Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. So there's a friend of mine by the name of David Shirk. We're, we're longtime friends, probably, got to be 32, 33 years now. And it's a phrase that I learned actually from him. And I've applied it since learning it from him to the discipleship world now over the last 20 years or so. And it's actually helps me know, John, the difference between like, if there's a friendship or there's a serving relationship where I can meet someone's need some way and a, a discipling relationship. And so the phrase in whose ears are your words big is a way that you can begin this process. So let me say that again, in whose ears are your words big? And what that means is like your words have weight. You can tell when you uh, give some advice or counsel or input to that person, they actually listen and go do it and come Mm -hmm. back for more. Yeah. If you are finding relationships like that, I would submit and suggest to you that that's not just a coincidence that actually may be the Holy Spirit in your life kind of saying, do you see I'm giving you favor in this person's life? Mm. That transforms that whole thing of how we look at it. And so, you know, when I see that repeatedly, I begin to say, okay, Lord, is this somebody that I'm supposed to do more investing in? And so, John, it was natural because I was in Pittsburgh at that time, usually twice a year in Mm -hmm. schools. So it was natural. I would see you there at the base. And so, you know, even if you were in the school, we'd go out for dinner or have lunch or something. And I'd ask you for an update on your life. And then you would often say, hey, can you help me with this and that? And it was something that grew over time. And again, with that, trust grows, Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time. But when I'm looking for who I can invest in, that's kind of the starting point that puts people like in the pool of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Then I take another step and I just use this because it's easy for my 61 year old mind to remember. I look for people who are fast, F-A-S-T. And here's what that means. F is for people who are faithful. Okay. The opposite of faithful would be flaky. <laughs> like in other words, if we, if we enter into this, are they just going to flake out on me or are they going to be faithful? 
A stands for available, meaning it's so important to them that they're willing to make time for it. Meaning that I'm going to move things in my schedule. So I am available to do this. The S is servant hearted that in other words, is this somebody like if I pass this on to them, are they going to want to serve other people by passing the same on to them? So it's some of that reproducing piece. And then the T is what we've talked about already teachable. Yeah. And so if I see somebody that's usually three out of those four, I'm usually willing to talk with them maybe about that fourth one and say, look, I see these things in you. And they didn't know I was necessarily looking at through that lens, but I'll just say to them, for example, let's say they're faithful, they're available. They seem to be the kind of people that would pass it on, but I'm getting stuck on the teachability thing. Mm -hmm. I might just have to say, look, so I see all these really good qualities. I just want to know, like when I lean into you on an issue that we need to talk about that I see you could really grow and all that, are you going to be teachable or are you going to always be pushing back on me? Mm. And when, you know, obviously if somebody says that to you and you've never seen it, they'll go, I didn't know I did that. Well, let me show you. Remember last time, you remember the time before that? Oh yeah. I see. It's like, I always would counter with you with my own answer or defense or said, yeah, exactly. And we can talk about it, but I need to know that you're at least going to let me go there. Got it. Are we good there? I'm good there. Okay, let's go, you know? And so in whose ears are your words big Then I whittle it down of that pool of people to our fast. And then John, you know, obviously with praying about all this, the last thing that I will do to make sure we're on the same page is like, let's say this is going to be a group that will meet weekly at 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning before everybody else heads off to their jobs Thursday mornings of each week. What I may do then is I will say, okay, here's, here's what I need to know. Are you willing to match my commitment? Mm. Because I will be there. Like I, I will be there. You, you don't ever have, I wonder if Dave's going to show up. <laughs> and so what I do, John, is I look them in the eyes one at a time. So if like there's a group of say seven or eight of them, I will just look them in the eyes like this. And I will say, are you willing to match my commitment? And I say to them, if you can't, it's okay. But this isn't probably the right setting for us. Mm. No, let's continue in friendship and I'll help you. But this is going to take another level. And John, as you know, in the Bible, um, there's a difference between pastoring Jesus and reaching people. Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. But with the rich young ruler, when he invited him to a disciple making relationship and the rich young ruler turned to walk away, Jesus didn't chase him down and said, dude, only give half to the poor. We'll call it good. Mm. Jesus. And it said, Jesus loved him. Mm. But see, often what we do is we lower the bar and go, hey, if you can come once every four weeks, we'll call it good. You're not going to grow a disciple that way. Wow. So, so true. just some, some food for thought. Yeah. You know, um, we're talking about kind of whittling down the qualifications or whatever. You know, I'm reminded about, you know, Jesus sent out the 72 or the 70 and then yep. he whittled it down even more to like his, his core 12. And then he even had a group of three that was his yeah. very close core. Yeah. And so that's a, that's kind of like a repeating pattern yeah. in in Jesus's life, but you know, there's there's some things that you talked about here, but I'm reminded about something that you said in one of the schools that you were teaching at when you came to Pittsburgh. When you were talking about how in your 20s your vantage point is very wide and broad, mm -hmm. and then as you get older that kind of becomes more narrowed until you kind of hit your stride. That's one of those mm -hmm. things that has always been big in my ears. Mm -hmm. Would you mind explaining that, but then also telling us how you figured out what it is that is your stride as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ran into a gentleman by the name of Dr. Bobby Clinton many years ago. And Bobby was the one that first kind of helped me see this in the, the mid to late 90s about seasons of life and how we... We all walk through various seasons of life and Bobby identifies like five different stages that the average person walks through. And, you know, there's an early stage. There's kind of a stage that's more about like in your, like one of the things you've heard me say over the years, John, is if you're in your, in your, in your twenties or thirties, it's more about what God's building in you than what he's doing through you. And that doesn't mean he doesn't do great things to you because every time you obey him, he, he does great things through us. But the focus is what he's building in me. Because it's often not until our 50s or 60s that you end up really hitting your stride. And God builds us 
purposely by putting us under certain leaders or putting us in certain situations to flex our muscles. Like the only way a muscle grows is through it going against weight greater than it. Mm. And God puts us in those situations. And, you know, if you look at this biblically, um, let's just, just quick, two characters, Moses, um, in case, you know, your listeners don't know. So Moses lived to be 120 the first 40 years, he was in Egypt getting the kind of the best training kind of available on the planet. The next 40 years, God put him in the wilderness, gave him a family, but he, he tended sheep. And God dealt with his character and who he was. And then at 80, so two-thirds of the way through his life, he has this burning bush experiences where God calls him to go back into the, the nation of Egypt where he'd come from and bring God's people out. So two-thirds of his life was preparation for the third, okay? Mm. So, you know, if the average person is, say, lives to be 75, 80, that means that first 50, 55 years of your life is really God preparing you for your stride. And then when we look at the life of Jesus, ten, you know, he was called to do what he began to do, and he was around 30, the Bible says. So if he died at three years later, so 10 elevenths. Mm-hmm. of Jesus's life was preparation. And we live in a culture, John, where, you know, like I live in Music City, the Nashville area. And if someone, as they say here, can sing, you know, if you're 13, you're promoted. And, I, and I've walked with artists, John, that character didn't matter that much because I have a stage. Mm. And see, God wants to build godly character in us that can sustain what he wants to push through us, the weight of that as we get older. And so it's one of those, um, it's one of those things that I look at in my own journey. And so at 61, I can tell you that many, many years, God had me underneath leaders to learn, Mm -hmm. to glean. And there's no doubt, like when you're in your early to mid thirties, you get what I call itchy feet. And it's kind of like, okay, I've been underneath this long enough. I think I need to go. Well, that's all well and good, but have you prayed about it? Is God releasing you from that situation? Because you don't want to go just because you got itchy feet. You want to go because it's obedience. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my life has been a step of obedience at a time. And it's been over the last few years that, and even now, leaning into a stride that God has begun to give me. But if your listeners can just realize, hey, you might be 35 and going, how much longer do I need to be under this leader? Here's the deal. The sooner that you lean into what God has you to learn, mm-hmm. the faster you walk through some of these processes. Yeah. I know whenever you first shared that with the students that I had at that point in the school, that just brought so much freedom to my life because I was in my mm. mid-20s and I yeah. didn't quite know what my calling looked like and or felt like or what it was going to be the end goal. Yeah, I knew that I was good at a lot of different things and uh, passable with enough of others that I could do most anything. And just having that freedom to know like it's okay to realize what you're not good at and figuring that out is just as important as figuring out what you are good at and what you are called to. Yeah. And then God makes the way for you. And that's yeah. definitely what he's done in my life and uh, has led me into into media that way and producing TV mm-hmm. and doing this podcast now. And those are all really cool things. And I don't know if I would have been able to walk in such peace if I hadn't yeah. had you explain that in the past. Well, and, and part of it, John, too, is this, if I can just to add this quick, is when you're younger, it's really good to have people say you want to be well-rounded and learn lots of things. And it's true. But as you get to your early to mid fifties, there is a narrowing and like, it would not be like, John, I I drive my car to Jiffy Lube to get my oil changed. I could change it, but I, I would rather pay the 50 bucks to get it changed by a professional Mm -hmm. because I don't need to be spending my time there. I need to be spending my time where I'm strong. Mm -hmm. And so there comes a point in time where the well-roundedness changes to what are the things you do really well? Just do that. Yeah. That's so important. And Dave, one of the things that you do really well is discipleship and teaching other people how to do that in the dozen domains that you've been able to explain in previous conversations. But God has called us into all these different areas of society, and you can be a disciple and a disciple maker outside of the church. In fact, God wants us to do that. Can you explain how God has kind of 
unpack this for you and, and shown what your calling is and how you're making an impact in all these different areas. Yeah. So back to our, you know, early YWAM days for me, um, YWAM, you know, introduced a concept to me as an 18, 19 year old of in YWAM, it's called the seven spheres. And so think of family, church, government, education, media, arts, entertainment, sports, and business. And that began to shape my thinking as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, even as it related to discipleship, because here was the math I was doing, John. So if you get people who serve in these seven spheres, or you mentioned the dozen domains where our categories, we've added to that, like science and technology, health, medicine, wholeness, and others. Now we just simply call them the vocations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got these various vocations, like when you really get serious and say, how do you actually change society or how do you change your town or your city? As a follower of Jesus, I know if I can see godly people take hold of, of roles that can influence society, and I know they're going to lay down their life for others. I know they're not about power and prestige. I know they're about servanthood and about bettering and blessing the lives of others. And I know they have that attitude. And I know that they have a certain skill set. So, for example, if you want to disciple somebody in the area of media, knowing that the end result can be you can have, for example, one of the problems that we all have right now, which is I'd say a 25-year-old problem in particular, the last quarter century, is there's been a growing distrust of our public media. Mm -hmm. Like, who do you know who to believe? Like, when I was growing up, in the 1970s, for example, that's when I, I graduated from high school in 1977. So I started paying attention to the news a little bit when I was in high school. You know, you just had basically ABC, NBC, CBS. You didn't have all these things. But you had some broadcasters that had proven themselves to be trustworthy. And they didn't give you the information of the news with a spin. Mm -hmm. They just stated the information. That's very different than today. Right. And today, how desperately do we need godly people called by Jesus into the media who you know when they speak something, they're telling you the truth? Mm -hmm. We're not going to get that just from the world around us, because right now, um, my brother is in, is in the media, and Tom will tell me, he'll say, Dave, you know, I don't even watch the news right now, because I know most news stories begin with this. I need to be the first one to report this story. Mm. And they're so fast to report it that they don't get all the facts. And then before you know it, things are twisted and someone puts their own spin on it. Well, we will never be able to impact that in a different way unless guys like John, who are called to the media, find others called to maybe different parts of the media you know, whether it's writing media or television media or digital media, social media, unless we can shape them in the ways of God where they, we can say to them, do you understand, right, that the attribute of God, of him being called the word, mm -hmm. is attached to media. Mm. It's like we have to understand that all of our vocations are attached to God's character. And for somebody in communications or media, I will say, He's actually called the word. Mm. And whether that word is demonstrated visually or spoken audibly, we have to realize we have to reference him and how we do things. So how do I display God's character? How am I a person of truth so that in this area of the media, they trust me? And again, you can spill this into government. You can spill this into sports, all kinds of areas of society. And so part of what we do, John, with Lionshare, the organization I lead, is we walk alongside these kinds of leaders in society here in Nashville, people in the music industry. We shape them in the ways of God. They love Jesus already, but nobody's ever said, have you ever connected your vocation to the ways of God and how God's character can be expressed to you? And they usually go, never even thought mm -hmm. of it, you know, but because now they've learned that they've grown in that, gosh, when you're with them. It's weighty God's character through them. Yeah. So that's some of the kinds of dynamics I think that, that we can look at. Right. 
Could you tell me a story of somebody that you've had the opportunity to really spend time investing and discipling that has actually put that into practice? I'm thinking of a particular story where there's a music artist that was going to all these different radio stations. And uh, yeah, could you kind of explain that story or tell that? Yeah. And I was actually just with that person last week. Hadn't seen her for a while, but there's a country music artist who was actually country music artist of the year um, a number of years ago. And she called me and said, would you pray for me and my family? We're heading on a bus tour. And this was early in her career when she had a song that had just come out and was breaking on the radio. And I said, I'm happy to pray for this radio tour, but I don't know what that is. Can you tell me? And she said, yeah. So when you're new in country music, the way that they kind of get you out there is you go do radio tours, which means we go to these radio stations. So they went to something like 40, 50, 60 of them oh, wow. over like a couple of months. And then they interview you, they play your songs, and that's how you get, I said, oh, got it, let's pray. So we prayed. And while I was praying, I just had this impression inside, and I said, amen, and I said, hey, can I, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. She was very open. I said, are you first an artist, a country artist, or are you first a follower of Jesus? So I'm first a follower of Jesus. I said, okay, that's what I thought. So I said, as a country artist who's a follower of Jesus, can I suggest something to you? She said, absolutely. So I said, when you get on, the, on that bus and you start going to these radio stations, can I encourage you to do something like this? Put it in your own words, but do something like this. Let's say you ended up in Phoenix, Arizona, the doors of the bus open. You've got some fans there who've already begun to hear your music. Can I encourage you, instead of getting caught up in the autograph world at the moment, you know you can come back there, but just greet them kindly with your eyes, but then find out who the station manager is that invited you. Go up to them with your family. Don't assume they know who you are and extend your hand, shake their hand and say, hi, my name is and say, say something like this, while I'm here and my family's here, could you please tell us how we could serve you and your radio station? Hmm. And she said to me, oh my gosh, I will do that. Because I said, I want you to, be a, to learn to be a servant because it doesn't matter your status in life. Even if you're one of the world's greatest celebrities, as a follower of Jesus, you're still first a servant. And she said, I agree with that. Well, she said, I'll do it. When she got back, we had a meal here with her and her family at, the, at a Cracker Barrel, one of our restaurants mm-hmm. here. And, and um, I said, how did that go? And she said, that was life-changing for me because she said, we did that. We just asked the people, how can we serve you? And so actually, her story is one of the stories in a new book I've just put out. And I just went back to her and validated. I said, am I still thinking about <laughs> this correct? Because that, that was back, um, John, that's now 20 years ago wow. this year. Wow. And she still is somebody that looks to serve those that work with her. So she's got an attitude of a servant, which is an attitude that every follower of Jesus needs to be discipled in. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up about your your new book that's out now. But before we talk about that and talk about all the great things that are in there and all the other things that you're doing as well, I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you, you know, this important question that I always kind of frame this podcast around. You know, Dave, as you look back at your life and you you can see now that Jesus really was walking with me and your heart was burning, just like the Emmaus Road story. Mm. Yes. But you maybe you didn't realize it at that moment, but you can see it now. Mm. Would you mind just telling mm. me a story of your life where that's the case and what you've learned from that now? Mm. Yeah, you know, I uh, some of it goes back to that seasons of life question, you know, John, that you led me into a while back. Because, you know, when I was 20-something and you know, you start forecasting out in your life, you know, you you don't know what's really out there. And, you know, now at 61, when I look back when I was 21 and I imagined, okay, what might I be doing in my sixties to be really honest, John, I would say 50% of what I'm doing now, I could see at 21, I would be doing, Mm. but I want to emphasize that there's a whole nother 50% that I had no idea. And I think one of the things that's important for us in our journeys is to realize that Jesus is the one that wants to lead us. And the only way you can do this is obedience point to obedience point to obedience point. And just like John, for you, you were obedient to join youth of the mission. You were obedient to leave it, to step into something 
related to the media. And then now that you've been in the media, you were obedient to accept roles that you were offered because you prayed about it, felt like you were to do it. And one of the big lessons for me over my life is obedience has to be central to our lives as disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, just so your listeners don't misunderstand me, when I say obedience, I don't want you to think of like some lockstep rigid thing. Here's how I see this. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. He didn't say it like, if you love me, prove it by obedience. I think if we would have heard him live in that moment, it would have been something like this. If you love me, shrug of the shoulders, you'll obey me. Like, in other words, the key here is loving Jesus with our hearts so much that it becomes a ridiculous idea to disobey. Wow. And so for me in my life, I would say obedience. And and it doesn't mean, John, I'm always perfect at it because I'm not. And I have to go back and, Lord, please forgive me. I was, you know, got selfish there, you know, whatever. But it is the rudder of my life, obeying Jesus out of my love for him. Mm. You know, Dave, that just made me think about, you know, how so much, you know, we get a text message and we will read into it a tone that's not there. Mm. And I love how you just broke down because sometimes we do the same thing to the word of God too. We just read it and it's just, it's just text on a page, but the word of God is living and active. And if we take the time to really hear the spirit of God, as we're reading it, he's going to show us, Hey, if you, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. You know, it's like that changes the meaning completely or it changes the motivation completely. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Dave, if you could go back in time and visit a young, Mm -hmm. you know, young Dave, early twenties in your teens or whatever, what stage of life would you like to interact with and give yourself a piece of advice or, you know, something that you could Mm -hmm. just kind of Here's some wisdom that I'd love for you to have at this point in your life. Yeah. What is that thing that you would, that you would say, and could you paint the picture of what's going on in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I would say there were times in my late thirties and early forties that I had a sense inside of me that there was something more that I was called to than what I was doing at the time. Mm -hmm. And I needed, and I got, I had some wise people around me. I needed to have that counsel, and I would get, have given myself as a 61-year-old now counsel to that, say, late 30s, early 40s guy, just saying, God's got it in his time. Mm. Don't push it. Don't manufacture something. Don't make something happen. And, and out of that came this phrase, John, that I know you've heard me say over the years, what God initiates, he permeates, meaning with his presence, his blessing, his leading, his guiding, his provision— What God initiates, he permeates with his leading, his guiding, his provision, that kind of thing. What I initiate, I have to sustain it. And if I'm having to sustain it, it means it's going to be born of the flesh. It's going to be um, only on my energy and strength, not on God's. And so Cheryl and I, like, we're going to go into a prayer retreat time here. Time or two each year, we get away for three days to seek the Lord. And the language we use, John, is this. When we're praying about something to discern if it's of God, is we'll say this, is God's breath on it? Mm. In other words, is, is God the one that's breathing life on it, or am I the one that's trying to pump life into it? And I would say to that, you know, late 30s, early 40s guy, trust the Lord mm. in his way, in his time. He will bring to pass the things he's tucking in your heart. Don't you make it happen. Let him make it happen. Amen. That's good advice, and that's something that I needed to hear right now, too. So I appreciate that. Good, good, good. And Dave, I know one of the things that God has breathed on is the books that you've written and the book that has just come out, The the Great Opportunity. So would you just kind of talk about what is the motivation with The Great Opportunity and what are some of the key Mm -hmm. points that people can take away from that and and how do they get it as well? Yeah. So uh, the book is called, as John said, The Great Opportunity and subtitled, making disciples of Jesus in every vocation. And so it really has three components to it, John. The first part deals with calling, and it's helping people catch a fresh sense of what it means to be called by God to their vocation. Because oftentimes people think, you know, if you're called to be a pastor, a missionary, you know, that kind of thing, then that's actually a calling, not government or sports or, you know, being a a stay-at-home homemaker 
you know, but it helps people catch a fresh glimpse of what it means to be called by God and how he shapes us uniquely in that calling. So, John, the second part of the book deals with vocations and how our vocations are actually rooted in God's character. And it breaks that down and helps people begin to see the value, the kingdom value of their vocation, how it can be used to advance God's kingdom, how it can better and bless the lives of people around us, that kind of thing. And then the last part of the book, which is about half of it, deals with the things you've led our conversation in. How do I go about making disciples of Jesus? And it gets really, really practical, you know, like in whose ears are your words big? And how do I find this? And how do I do it? So that's kind of the spirit of the book, The Great Opportunity. I'm excited to see it getting in the hands of people who work in various vocations where they can realize one of the ways I can partner with Jesus in changing the world is by making disciples of the followers of Jesus that serve in my same vocation. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. You know, I feel like there's been so many times where we as Christians have, have missed the boat We've missed the opportunities because we've said, well, the pastor will take care of that. You know, the pastor is the disciple maker. But Jesus has called all of us to do that. We are all called to be disciples, and a disciple makes more disciples. Yeah, that's right. I'm so grateful for the books, the other books that you've written, too, the Jesus Blueprint and the the handbook that you've created, the Discipleship Journey. And you've got a kid's version of that now, too. And so you don't have to be a certain age to start being a disciple. You can start from a young, a young kid as well. And that's, that's where we should be. Yeah. And because the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. And if we can instill those things in children growing up, then we've got the setup that they can be superheroes for the next generation. And I just, I love that concept. Huge. So, yeah, it's huge. And that piece are a discipleship journey, kids edition. We're almost done. We just got the animation done. So, John, for the 48 lessons, there are now about three-minute videos for each mm-hmm. one of those with two characters, AD and J. And so you'll get that ADJ, a discipleship journey. Right. So we have AD and J, two kids that learn along the way. We're having fun pouring into people. As you know, too, we've got a podcast that's called Wisdom Unlock: The Ways of God. It's usually about a 25 to 30-minute podcast. And One of my team members, Sonia, who used to work for Dateline and different things, does the interviewing, and it's a conversation about the ways of God, very much like John's just led us in on various subjects, like the one that just came out uh, this week is on how not to kick up offenses. Mm. Kind of a big one in the world. Yeah, that's a little big right there. That's that's a big one. We all need that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that we put a link to that in the show notes here, so people can okay. listen to that particular okay. episode. But how else can people find you, Dave? Yeah, it's easy if you just go on Lion Share, just like it sounds, L I O N S H A R E dot org, and uh, you'll see you know, the things that John talked about, the things we're doing there, the resources that are available. And if you uh, go to Dave Beering, I know our team has linked me up on Facebook and on Instagram as well. So John will give you the spelling of my name and his notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll put all that information in the show notes. But I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of make that plug as well, because I personally sure. know that all the resources that you have given me, all the wisdom and knowledge that God has used you to impart into my life, has been truly life-changing. and Thanks, John. You're one of those guys that, as I said, and I'll keep saying it probably till the day that I die, that your words are very big in my ears and have helped me become the man that I am today. Seeing those opportunities on how I can help other people along their way. Dave, there's so much more that I would like to talk with you about, but I'm going to wrap up this conversation now. Maybe we can try another time to to go even deeper about some of these sure, things. Sure, happy to. But right now, I just want to thank you for allowing me to join you along your way. Thank you. I hope that you've enjoyed my conversation with Dave Beering. I always pick up a lot of good information and a lot of good inspiration whenever I talk with him. I love how he describes the things that we are supposed to be able to pass on to others. The ways of God is passing on, hey, can I show you how Jesus would do this? So it's reflecting his character, it's reflecting his ways, and then it's helping that person find their own gifts and their place in the body of Christ where we're there, where they are fulfilling the mission of Jesus. I really appreciated what he said about your identity and knowing who you are. I want you to learn to be secure in who you are and who you're not. That knowing who you're not 
part is really important and it's really freeing. I hope you find some freedom knowing what you are not called to and who you are not called to be as much as who you are. I love how Dave describes the importance of obedience. One of the big lessons for me over my life is obedience has to be central to our lives as disciples of Jesus. When I say obedience, I don't want you to think of like some lockstep rigid thing. Here's how I see this. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. He didn't say it like, if you love me, prove it by obedience. I think if we would have heard him live in that moment, it would have been something like this. If you love me, shrug of the shoulders, you'll obey me. Like, in other words, the key here is loving Jesus with our hearts so much that it becomes a ridiculous idea to disobey him. Even though I've heard Dave share a lot of the same information on numerous occasions, it still challenges me and it gives me something to think about as I try to become more like Jesus. I hope that you were blessed by this conversation too. If you want to know more about Dave and his journey, I'll be providing his information in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can also keep up with me on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes.